Well, thank you so much, Gregory, for joining me today. I've been a, a long admirer and fan of, of Regen for, for a while now. Um, but before we get into Regen Network and sort of what it is and, and the entire ecosystem that you and your team has built, talk a little bit about your journey before Regen and maybe your career path to even, to even get to sort of blockchain and nature and you know all the things that <laughs> Web3 entails. Yeah, totally. Well, thanks for having me, Grant. Cause Artist is a pretty awesome platform. So thanks for, you know, bringing all these voices out. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting. So honored to be honored to be here on the journey with you Thank and you. the big community you've been building. Yeah, I mean, so my story, I guess it you know, it's it's always like when do you start a story? <laughs> but um I grew up in Alaska. Um, right. and I think that that's been you know that was pivotal to my just growing up and my worldview and my perception about things and i you know i think a part of my experience growing up was engaging actually with the fishery the salmon fishery in alaska mm. i i was um growing up as i went into high school and i started to work in the summer times i managed to kind of work at in every different part of the salmon fishery, you know, from, from, you know, like local NGO watershed forum, kind of monitoring the health of the river and being an independent voice for the health of the ecosystem to, you know, the fish and game, the state run, you know, department of fish and game, um, that's sort of regulating the fishery and, uh, to being a commercial fisherman and being wow. out there catching salmon <laughs> and, you know, being part of that and the culture of that. And I had a lot of friends doing that. And I, I worked in that for, for years to personal use subsistence fishery, you know, putting up salmon and in, in, into the freezer and smoking and whatnot for, for our families. Amazing. Um, yeah. So just all those different angles, right. And something about that just colored my understanding of, of the world, I guess. Sure. And, and that, that fishery is held up at a international level as one of the best run stories of natural resource management in the world and yet my experience of it on the ground was that it was kind of a mess <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, I, I maybe i'm a bit of a dreamer or something but even back then you know i just remember you know that i i guess the the north star of the salmon fishery management process essentially is to make it harder for commercial fishermen to catch fish <laughs> you know so you raise sure. the cost for commercial fishermen to catch fish kind of by forcing them to go out into the ocean to catch a fish that everybody knows is coming to a mm -hmm. river mm -hmm. something about that always struck me when i was out in the middle of the ocean chasing after fish as kind of crazy right i'd have these images of like what if we could figure out the social coordination necessary for you know and obviously being a fisherman is a lifestyle and it, there's a beauty to it and there's a ruggedness to it but it's sure. also it's dangerous it's expensive <laughs> yeah and ultimately at least in the case of salmon you are chasing after fish again that are they're all going to come to the river mm -hmm. and i you know so i'd always just be thinking sort of daydreaming as i was out there fishing what would it be like if our that culture in Alaska could figure out how to allocate that resource in a way that worked. And we could just all hang out and like have a big party because the salmon are all coming in. Like, what if we were just having a big party every year when the salmon came in instead of this like rugged, hard work thing? What if we were just having a party and we, we could sort out the social coordination? And I kind of became obsessed at that moment, I think, with the, the economics and the governance and, you know, the financial layers of this and the incentives and, you know, started researching how first peoples, indigenous peoples, other cultures around the world dealt with managing these sort of common resources. And, you know, so I think I think a lot of my a lot of the seeds of what has become region network were sort of uh, planted then. Was this like a small town? Like a city, like yeah, yeah. So paint I grew a picture up, I grew of like up, the I population. Kenai, uh, Kenai, Alaska. So yeah, when I was there growing up, it's probably similar size now. It was 
about 5,000 people. Okay. And it's, okay. you know, it's mostly fishing. And then there's also kind of oil and gas and, um, sure. and tourism. So those were the three things that were kind of going on there where I grew up. So after that, what did you leave Alaska then? Yeah, I did. I went out, I went out of state to go to school. So I studied down at Oregon State University, uh, environmental science, and I started to dig into, yeah, I got to go spend a year in Ecuador. I spent a, I also had some really pivotal moments studying marine ecology in the Galapagos and noticing again, sort of like this, this mess of resource management and seeing how the human interactions are what were leading to the degradation of of the ecosystem mm -hmm. and the erosion of the health and that it isn't and so i that's really a, a an assumption or a, a a thought that i have or that has been born in me through observation through like engaging sure. these in these specific environments so yeah i went out of state studied in Oregon, studied in, in Ecuador, and then I kind of followed up my college. And, you know, and I was a person, I didn't go straight to college. I took a year off, you know, I, I worked, I put myself through college, you know, fishing and fighting fire and doing other things. So I wanted to go to school. I wasn't, it wasn't sort of just sort of one of those things that was just, you know, something it's that- the path that you do. do. And it's, yeah. Yeah, 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 it wasn't an automatic thing. It was like, I wanted right. to go study. I wanted to have that experience. And I have to say, I was pretty jaded also by that experience because I, you know, I was studying environmental science and it's, you know, people say economics is the dismal science, right? Because, and I think that comes from this sort of like perspective of sort of like the dry, rational human who's just greedy and how kind of like how sad of a story that is when economists are modeling, you know, economies and, and sort of that dry technocratic approach to things. But really environmental science is the dismal science because you're just studying, especially back then, is you're just studying the the degradation of the planet. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways, the environmental movement has such sort of a m misanthropic perspective right where there's just a lot of this perspective of humans as the cancer that's killing the planet and the story and the science that supports that and hmm. i really started looking for other ways of thinking about it because I'd, i'm not a misanthrope i think people are beautiful i definitely think that you know our society is out of balance and there's a lot of the, the incentives are, the incentives have been aligned a certain way exactly and, and now i think as we as we get on in this conversation, I think the incentives are switching now to where humans can act naturally and it will be more effective for ecosystem of Earth, right? In a positive way. Exactly. I think that's the that's the potential, right? Is that we can align incentives, we can align. I mean, I sort of say my obsession has become what if the exhaust of human the human economy, human society is planetary regeneration mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. instead of the exhaust of human society being depletion of the ozone layer and degradation diversity and uh, mm -hmm. resource extraction and accumulation of atmospheric carbon what if the exhaust of our culture and our you know of our way of being is increasing biodiversity and water retention in landscapes and beauty and biodiversity and 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 pulling that atmospheric carbon out of the atmosphere and and putting it back into living systems, which is kind of my obsession, right? It's sort yeah. of like, what does it look like for that atmospheric carbon to be put to work in a, in the cycle of life such that the planet is, is increasing its health and vitality and evolutionary capability? And there is really no physical, like ther thermodynamic or physical reason why that can't happen. There's no political reason why that can't happen. Mm -hmm. There's no technological mm -hmm. reason why that can't happen. It's a coordination game, yeah. right? It's like, what are we, what are the games that we play in society? Where do we derive our status? How do you become rich? How do you become famous? <laughs> These are like the to yeah. me, these are the root questions, right, that we have to answer. And if we answer those as, oh, you become rich and famous by being the most adept land steward possible. <laughs> okay, right? And yeah. Society it's, transforms, right? It's just a totally different ballgame. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. So so after after college, I guess I, I want to get to the path where you got introduced to 
a blockchain, I guess. And, and, and was there a, a sort of, you know, the, the same way that you kind of something spark in you as, you know, with salmon and the fishery, you, you kind of spark interest in, okay, maybe I want to go, you know, to college and, and study this stuff and, and do things better. Was there a moment after college and you entered the workforce and then you got introduced to sort of blockchain and then we'll obviously get into what that means, but take us through that point from, you know, graduation in environmental science to, you know, getting introduced to blockchain. You know, after college, I started engaging with, I guess, what we could call the, the permaculture and eco-village movements, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which were, you know, which were a lot smaller than they are now, both of those communities. And and I guess there's since then, there's been a birth of this whole re- regenerative movement, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole story there, which I'm happy to tell at some point about that, because that's also pivotal and was a big part. That was a big part of what I was working on back then was like, how do you build this sort of like meme plex and this story and this narrative about what I was just talking about, where sure. status and wealth are derived from regeneration and, you know, and thinking about that. So that's kind of what I was working on, really. And and in 2008, really, like right as the the financial yeah. crisis was <laughs> was kicking some of my colleagues and i uh, ethan soliviev amongst others were launched what um what i was calling what we founded as the financial permaculture initiative mm. and so we were applying concepts of permaculture which is a design art and science based on a set of ethics and principles those ethics being earth care, people care, and and equitable redistribution of resources or fair share, and a set of principles that w- sort of emerged out of the observation of living systems and in indigenous cultures and their successful management of resources to ask, how would we design a local living, thriving economy? And what are the tools around that? And it was amazing. The first financial permaculture course, I'll have to dig it up, but there's a really cool... Um, <laughs> There's a really cool like 30 or 45 minute documentary around it. So we were running these participatory design sessions in rural Tennessee, right? Uh-huh. With with <laughs> like Tennessee senators and African-American community members and people from from Nashville, people from all over. So the financial <laughs> permaculture course really became this seed of so much of what came later. And that was, you know, that was right before Satoshi published the white paper. But at sure. that time, we were really deeply uh, researching local exchange trading systems and other forms of locally managed digital currencies. Hmm. So we were already on this sort of, di- wow. and, and back yeah. then, if you remember, there was like DigiGold, there were some yeah. early attempts before uh-huh. Bitcoin around, and I was super geeking out on all that stuff, right? <laughs> we were also talking about alternatives like hard money, like silver and gold. We were talking about social, you know, social currency systems, you know, Bernard Leotard's concept of complementary currencies or currencies ba- backed by baskets of commodities. We, we were really digging in deeply to this concept of, you know, money as this sort of like social contract. And what mm-hmm. does it mean for that to be born out of, you know, in that in that moment, in that lens, it was sort of a financial permaculture, which has evolved in my world to sort of the refi or regenerative finance yeah. approach. So then in 2009, we did that again. And that was when the white paper, came, Bitcoin white paper came out. And I just remember, you know, reading of it, being being aware of it and sort of like feeling an affinity for this experiment taking place, sort of the ex- experiment of a different form of finance and sort of an iteration around that. And there's, you know, and I would say I'm skeptical of some of the deep assumptions, for instance, embedded in the in the. Bitcoin sort of like in quotes, hard money approach. Mm-hmm. Sure. But nonetheless, I'm like fully bought into this idea of experimentation and engagement of money as something that we really as a society need to approach. Like, what does money mean? How do we design it? How do we manage it? You know, and how do you know, and my question is, how do we link that to be reflective of and in a in sort of like a virtuous cycle with mm-hmm ecological health. So, um, so I was aware of block Bitcoin back then, you know, and, and sort of interested. And yeah, we've been talking about 
bioregional currency systems. And I started working on a little cacao business and had started thinking about, you know, what if we backed our currency with cacao, like the old Mesoamerican cultures yeah, did, yeah. where there's a ceremonial sort of like function to currency in addition to it. You know, it's like really geeking out on all of that. And then um, fast forward, lots of things happened, of course, lots of fun stories. Sure. <laughs> you know, um, lots of adventures in Latin America, lots of crazy, but I was a cacao hunter for a while, uh, chasing down wild strains of cacao for craft chocolatiers and all sorts of fun stuff was going on and, and building a business that did, called Terragenesis International, which really started to focus on regenerative supply and sort of like trying to engage with landscape scale regeneration through the shifting of this intersection of agriculture and supply chains, right? And so started working a lot on that, got some pretty big client work and sort of engaging with that flow, which, you know, it's sort of pivotal because that, you know, if you're talking about supply chains and, and transforming them to sort of a regenerative producer web, you start getting into conversations about certification and uh, transparency and all of these financial instruments, forward contracts, um, financing mechanisms, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all of this stuff starts to emerge. And my observation in that, you know, in, in, a, in a through about a 10 year arc of working deeply in that world, right up to the pass off into region network that that be, had become my vocation sort of I had started to specialize in sort of the adaptation of business models to, you know, this intersection of regenerative agriculture and supply, um, hmm. logistics, manufacturing. How do you make that work? Right? And, right. and how do we build a movement around that certifications around that? Working in the natural products industry, helping sort of spark a movement of what is now like it's a, you know, I just <laughs> my my wife had there's this uh, you know, sort of like groovy clothing brand that she gets a catalog every mm -hmm. quarter or something. And the catalog came yesterday in the mail and it was like, you know, the regenerative revolution. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> anyway, like I was way back in the weeds on that in the very, very early days helping people think about that and um and what emerged out of that for me, and this is like leads directly into Bitcoin or blockchain rather, not Bitcoin directly, but is that, you know, in order for any of that to be real and not just sort of greenwashing, right? Because the cost to market sure. it is so much yeah. lower than the cost to implement it. Mm. And the ability to discern between the hard work that it takes to transform the sort of like human ecology from extractive and degenerative to regenerative is significant. Like there's learning barriers. You have to retool on a, on a tech and machinery basis. You have to transform the system over some years, right? And so there's a cost to that. It's a lot easier to shortcut it, right? And sure. so I started to become obsessed with the how, what does it look like to actually have an infrastructure? Because certifications weren't working and don't work. You can't, right. you know, as someone who worked with smallholder cacao farmers for years, you like organic certification is almost meaningless. <laughs> really, when it comes down to it, there's really no, it isn't what we think it is, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so what, what would it be if it was? How would you accomplish that? What does it mean to start to create a system where we bring transparency so consumers can really choose? Because also I started to experience that people really deeply, if you give somebody the option between something that's cheap, that hurts other humans oh, yeah. and the environment yeah. and their families and something yeah. that is more expensive and does not, people will choose the better option if they know better. Yep, if they actually exactly. can see the thing, they will. They will choose that. That's literally the point of Cosars. <laughs> so I, I, I wholeheartedly, I am a maximalist on that for sure. Totally, me too. And 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 it's there's data behind it. There's personal experience. Humans are pro-social. Like we want. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. I mean, of course, there's always going to be some people who are 
you know, sociopaths or whatever, and they're going to behave in a way that's apart and different for their, but most of the time, most people are good and they care about other people and they care about their bigger communities, but they're it's just about they, knowing it's they don't know and they're yeah. being manipulated yeah. and not knowing. So I really yep. became obsessed in like, what does it mean for people to all have access to this information efficiently and effectively? And region network was really you know, and there's a there's another leg of that story of how region network became, but that's the, that's a big part of the seed. So you have this intersection of you know money is a social yep. construct and how we create it. If people knew how money came into existence, they would probably you know <laughs> may, maybe people would behave differently. I think the more educated you get about money and the financial system, the more you start to think, wow, this might be able to be done better. Right. Yeah. And, well, I'm in a I'm in a place where tulips were a <laughs> totally. currency of exchange, right? Am I, you know, a value of exchange for totally. for a while, right? And, and you know, still, obviously it looks ridiculous now, but commodity. People, <laughs> yeah, talk about no doubt, the tulip yeah. bubble. But yeah, but yeah, there was a bubble. But and tulips are a global commodity that is a, still a big business to this day and is a whole like thing. It still is a whole thing. So oh, it's, it's a whole market of it. I mean, just here alone, I mean, the tourism that comes to see the tulip fields here in the Netherlands every year is pretty substantial. So yeah, although it's not like, it's not a currency anymore, it still brings economic value to to the country and, and you know, to the other parts of the world where, where it exists. Totally. And there's a whole conversation here to geek out around, you know, what is a currency? I think sure. I think of moneyness on a spectrum, really, and things can be more or less like money. <laughs> but it, and, <laughs> yeah. and there's a whole thing there to, to dig into. But that all started to obsess me. And so in my in uh, obsessions, maybe uh, maybe is or isn't the right word. I don't know. But I, I was really interested in all of that. It's a passion. Let's, it's, a, passion. it's a passion. It always has been, you know, how how could what is the potential what where does that lie and how would we express it as humans and i really increasingly became interested and and at the same time i was pretty skeptical you know i I was paying attention to ethereum as it launched and um paying attention to the dow and had some friends who were participating in that and um and got to meet some of some really early ethereum community members who had read the book that i wrote back in 2012 called regenerative enterprise oh that's cool in which we you know we articulated the eight forms of capital and this concept of regenerative enterprise ecosystems where we're sort of saying like look you you can't have a single business become in quotes regenerative you really need an ecosystem mm-hmm. of businesses mm-hmm. and communities to be become regenerative together because there's inputs and there's outputs this is sort of a, the the scale of creating an economy that has a net regenerative impact on its participants and the greater world that it's embedded in, you know, you need more than just a, you can't do it alone, basically. You need a community that's engaged in it um, along this whole value adding cycle. So that's, um, that's, you know, that's all been part of the messy journey to get here. And and in 2017, I'll sort of like to wrap that up sort of like full circle. In 2017, I had um, um, my my wife and I had a child. And so when um, he entered into the world, I did a classic millennial thing and I like did a GoFundMe campaign to take paternity leave. Okay. (laughs) Which was awesome. You know, social. Social safety net, lots of reciprocity sure. and engagement with communities that I've been helping and people chipped in and I'm so oh, that's cool. Yeah. Transformative. And it wasn't much, you know. I, I raised a couple grand to just be able to like be like, I'm taking a couple months off. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And during that time, you know, it also happened to be, you know, as I was April of 2017 <laughs> and the crypto market started their you know, started a big movement. There had been one previous, you know, some years before, but this had Ethereum and it was then it was the ICO boom. Mm-hmm. And um, as, and I had, you know, I had bought some Ethereum and some Bitcoin a couple years back. And so I was, so I was like watching my portfolio <laughs> move and, and I was thinking, you know, what am I doing next? I'm, I'm taking right. a leave. I'm, I'm taking these long walks with my beautiful son on my chest, just sort of, you know, in contemplation and it's kind of a perfect storm. Exactly. It all came together, right? It all came together in the conversations and 
you know, and, and up until then, as I was mentioning, I knew some folks in the Ethereum community. I was pretty skeptical of the Ethereum approach. Mm -hmm. And I'll get into that. Why, if we want to, but just proof of stake versus proof of work. Just that was a big part of it. Yeah. That was a big mm -hmm. part of it. And and also I've always been pretty wary of I think the Ethereum community has always sort of, at least in its er, you know, and still is very obsessed with sort of like having a single sort of like world computer or a single settlement mm -hmm. layer or a single sort of like one chain to rule them all. Like we are yeah, going to be- It seems like that will never happen though, right? And I yeah, and, and I've always been just super much more like there needs to be plurality and diversity and people need to actually have the tools in their own hands to express, the, you know, in order for this to be regenerative and how mm -hmm. I define regenerative, you know, you need uh, a place because because regeneration happens in a place. Regeneration isn't, you know, you really can't abstract regeneration to nothingness. <laughs> it, it, it happens in an ecosystem, in a watershed. It happens in a culture. It happens in a place, right, with people. And, you know, climate change may be global, but regeneration is local. And mm -hmm. if you're mm -hmm. really... So, so from that first principle, I've always been really aligned with what I, you know, I, I bumped into Cosmos very early, you know, I, yeah. I um, participated in that and the, the ICO and sort of compelled by that interchain vision, right? Because yep. blockchain yep. is a social technology, right? You're creating consensus and you're maintaining the statefulness of a system for you know, whatever use case you need. And so that could be a supply chain use case where you want to enforce sort of transparency between actors, which was which was a use case that I, I spent a lot of time thinking about and, and working on. And that was actually one of the early use cases that Region Network spent a lot of time on. Or a currency money, you don't want to do double counting or you want to be able to govern the issuance mm -hmm. logic or whatever it is, or, or just governance, municipal governance, whatever it might be. I've always been a believer that at least at a local level, you, you want to be able to opt in to fully maintaining your own digital infrastructure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even if you choose to outsource it, right? Even if you say, oh, given all of the options, it would be good to get somebody professional to manage that. I always right. like, my belief is you, you, that needs to be a choice. Like you need to be able to always give people the ability to opt into sort of full owner operation capability at as local a level as you can get because mm -hmm. that's those are the conditions where you can start to match decision making and with the local regenerative circumstance like what do we need to regenerate this watershed or this agricultural ecosystem or, or these forests right. that's where that's where decision making I, I think makes the most sense when you it's, the farther you get away from that the more sort of distortion and sort of strange incentives you get and the, and the more likely that there is a decision that's going to run completely counter to sort of a local regenerative outcome taking place so i you know, because of that, and because of that set of first principles that I believe in, I was always a little wary of Ethereum and just like this concept of, hey, just throw a smart contract up. But obviously, that also makes, you know, what we've been trying to do at Region Network a lot harder row to hoe. <laughs> it's a long distance to start to, you know, you're stop, you know, and I'm not a, I, I'm not, I didn't, I don't have a background in computer science or cryptography. I just, you know, have this set of beliefs and a set of first principles coming from my background working on the ground with people and doing permaculture around the world that led me to understand that regeneration in order to have the right footing in the in its expression in the digital realm and and its expression in the sort of this digital political economic monetary emergence that is you know, in quotes, cryptocurrency or D-Web or Web3 or the yep. blockchain movement that, you know, really lowering the cost for people to make their own, to express consensus about the social construction of value, like how we as a society wish to create symbolic representation of what we value and how are we going to link that to ecological health? That's something that actually needs to be replicated and not scaled. Like you don't want to just impose that universally 
you want to be able to regenerate it locally and then kind of nest it together and build the relationships. So that's that's the vision, right? That's the sure. vision that came to me. I mean, that <laughs> vision essentially just in a came. little stroll with my son. This is exactly no, hundred percent. I was out on a walk with my son and had this amazing kind of download experience. I was just asking myself this question: What does the infrastructure or societal, what does the societal coordination infrastructure look like to make it possible for money to be reflective of ecological health, right? And then there's a set of first principles. Regeneration is local. Money is a social construction of value. Social construction of value needs to happen at a local level. The infrastructure needs to be available for people to to bring together in a non-coercive way to, to basically answer the question, what does regeneration look for like for us? How do we monitor it? How do we issue it? How do we manage it, right? And so, you know, that set of questions and answers evolved into me reaching out to Christian, who, who you got to meet, and, and Brecht, who helped found things, and um, Aaron, who's a brilliant software engineer and a longtime friend and Will Zoll and other people, and basically creating and founding a group of us who were like, let's just do it. And so yeah. we all sort of set aside all the other things we were working on, and we just started working on articulating this vision of Regen Network. And, you know, obviously went through different iterations, and, you know, we came out with the white paper and sort of proceeded from there through, it's been, it's been a long journey since 2017, <laughs> all the way now, fast forward 2022, and we just now went through the the network upgrade to get to region ledger 4.0 which in a lot of ways is like the minimum most minimum viable expression of <laughs> having a marketplace for eco credits and you know still has all of this vision underneath it but a lot of you know miles to go we still have a long way of research development and engagement but now there's sort of a functional front end experience where people can go and buy and sell and retire eco credits they can manage the minting process of an eco credit on a local basis from Huge. sort of yeah so it's 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 pretty exciting so i want to i want to kind of maybe take this as a two one question, but try to knock out two big stones and that'd be tough. But one will be, I guess for those who don't know, like what is regenerative finance, right? Is it, when somebody asks you, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're blue to it. They come from a different industry and they ask, Gary, what is, what is regenerative finance? And what is region network sort of role in the regenerative finance ecosystem? What is it trying to solve? I know that's two very, very big questions, but we'll, we'll go deeper into them, but I want to give broad strokes to you know, people who, who are maybe unaware of the sector and sort of just getting introduced to it. Yeah, totally. Well, so I'll answer the first question in two different ways. And I think okay. there's probably more ways to answer it than that. But so regenerative finance. So on one level, let's say, what does it look like to regenerate finance, right? So finance is an expression of a, a set of economic tools where people, where we have a capability to kind of like conjure up the symbolic representation of value money Mm -hmm. through debt instruments or, you know, all of these different securities, bonds, all of this, there's this whole world that has emerged, you know, really since tulips, basically. Yeah. (laughs) You brought it back like right around then. All this this stuff was emerging, right? And so there's this whole set of tools, symbolic tools, these invisible structures, legal arrangements, securities that we've evolved as a society. So the question is, how do we regenerate those tools and that that set of agreements and social constructs and contracts amongst one another to reconnect them so that they are all regenerating the people and places that are using those tools, right? Because for a long time, I think there was this sort of naive understanding in economics and finance that was centered around just optimize for value extraction. And you have Mm -hmm. sort of Mm -hmm. mercantile colonialism and in all of these pieces and the logic of slavery, really, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which in which 
you know, you're, you're just sucking as much out of a system as possible. And this is really flipping that on on its head and saying, what happens if we use, if we repurpose and reimagine these same tools to create relationships in which the system itself is regenerating itself and the, the parts of that system are being regenerated. So the land base and the humans and, you know, the material world, the, the built environment, the if, if there's industry, whatever the industrial base is, all is sort of being approached so that it is growing its capacity and capability really to thrive from an evolutionary perspective, from a living perspective. What does it look like for economics and finance not to be a force of degradation and extraction to be, but to be a force for regeneration? For, yeah, for me ahead. personally, just, just so I could run the run the parallel and the train of thought here is historically we as society found a way to put monetary value on extraction of whether it's natural resources for the earth whatever it may be but we put we put a monetary value on extracting things producing things depleting things right we, we found a way to put a monetary value on that for goods and services and now what i think regenerative finance is is doing is actually putting that monetary value on conservation and stewardness rather than just ex- extracting. So it's it's like you said, it's flipping it ahead and it's putting the monetary value on the opposite of extraction, which serves all these regenerative purposes. Exactly. And so, you know, you, you start to think about how are we valuing public goods mm-hmm. instead of just mm-hmm. private goods? How yeah. are we yeah, exactly. how yeah. are we managing common pool resources, not just sort of privatizing them? Right. And or how are we using private property tools to to generate public goods? And, you know, again, so there's all these cool. It's a beautiful design space. And there is so much there's a renaissance happening right now in the refi space. So so regenerative finance, I would say, sort of like has its roots. There's a number of pivotal moments for me, the roots of regenerative finance in my own personal journey come from sort of this experience with the financial permaculture initiative, you know, in a whole set of thinkers and ways of engaging with the world, sort of like building from that and, you know, and publishing regenerative enterprise and exploring what that looks like, and then moving forward into this the way in which crypto and blockchain, D-Web, Web3 has opened the Overton window mm-hmm. and you have Dogecoin and, and Bitcoin sure. and whatever, yeah. where there's experimentation again around the social construction of value. There's an acknowledgement like, you know, you don't get more socially constructed than a meme coin, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that that's, I think that the blowing open of that window has made it possible for a whole new generation to become engaged and asking, you know, now refi, now refi more specifically, right, is centered in the, the digital world, in the crypto world, asking how do we use the tools of applied cryptography and distributed computing that we know of as blockchain, where you have a social, you know, you have a state machine, you have consensus about something you, you can govern parameters on chain you have you know the ethereum world's approach to that you have the cosmos world's mm-hmm. approach to that and other ecosystems as well how do we leverage that and sort of region pill that whole green pill that the whole movement and say <laughs> how are we leveraging this this technology and this movement and the fact that we're socially constructing value and how do we anchor that in real world regenerative outcomes and that i think is sort of what the refi movement has come to mean and i think there's and it's exciting i think there's also some cautionary you know i i think there's there's needs to be some amount of caution sort of precautionary principle you know it I don't want refi to get so naively optimistic that we end up sort of just leveraging mm. the reduction in the marginal cost to throw up a Ponzi scheme <laughs> that, sure. that, that, sure. that blockchain makes possible, just like right. leveraging that infinitely without grounding it in reality, right? And so the hardest part of refi 
the hardest part and where I think a lot of people focus, but not enough. Like more of us need to slow down and focus on the hard questions around what does it mean to include vulnerable and marginal communities in both the financial upside and the governance and answering questions about what value is and how we measure it and why, you know, um, anchoring this in ecological reality, which is from my perspective, the most objective measure of regeneration that we're likely to get from a social perspective, right? Like we can see when landscapes are degraded. We can right. see when landscapes regenerate. That's a solid anchor, I feel like, to sort of anchor us in this process of, you know, what, how are we reinventing value and money? And it also makes it real too. And, exactly. And, I mean, the visuals and when you see it visually with your eyes, it, it's not, it's not just an NFT, right? It's not something that you can't necessarily touch or feel. And I think we're still trying to search for that connection of what's sort of real and, and what's not. And, but when you, when you attach all these digital mechanisms that we're, we're talking about into the real world, that's when I think it starts to click for people who are maybe a little bit not willing to step their foot into, you know, blockchain or crypto space just because of, you know, the bad, the bad rep that it, that it gets a little bit for some of the things that, you know, we had mentioned, you had mentioned, but once you attach it to real world events and people can see what's possible, then I think the understanding, and that's when it comes to the back to the education thing, right? I mean, it's just really, we're all ignorant to it until we see it and we start to understand it. And then it's like, okay. Now, now I'm starting to get it a little bit more. <laughs> what's so? What is you know Regen Network, and what's its sort of role in regenerative finance as we stand today? Regen Network is, I mean, in some ways, you know, I think with all humility, I think we're sort of the originator of the refi movement in a lot of ways. I mean, I think a lot of people probably talk about Klima in in that because there's a Klima DAO. Point, yeah. There's this huge moment where they forked Olympus and they centered it on, you know, a reserve currency backed by mm -hmm. carbon assets. And th mm -hmm. there was a brilliance and mimetic power to that. That is, there's a world before Klima and a world after Klima. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think we, Regen influenced Klima and sort of like, you know, was part of the birth story of that in, in certain ways. And I think we we were, you know, I am personally wary of that kind of approach where you go straight into this like scaling Ponzi-nomics process. And so there were reasons why we didn't do that kind of approach, but we're sort of pre predating it in a lot of ways. So there's that that part of telling a story, which is, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, Region Network is kind of like the beating heart or the soul of the refi movement in, mm -hmm. in our own way. And there's a lot of other players and a lot of other stuff going on, but we're sort of like just moving along, doing our thing. And what are we doing? We are trying to build the most legitimate and transparent and community-owned system for originating regenerative assets possible. Mm -hmm. So a regenerative assets, again, just for yeah, we, we call them eco credits. There's a spectrum from carbon credits. We spend a lot of time on voluntary carbon markets just because there's a big market there. Yep. And there's like market. It's possible to run, you know, a, sort of a, a business by producing and selling carbon credits. Right. Right? It's the and first so asset in the space that is is scaled to is scale size. is scaled yeah. and scaling and is adopted. And so yep. we have a suite of tools that allows people to mint high quality carbon credits to access a community, a rigorous, robust, open community of scientists to help design or implement new monitoring, reporting and verification systems to mint those assets. You know, we have a marketplace for those assets. So we're really focused on what I would call the origination story, which, mm -hmm. and I've, you know, and apologies, I've been so sort of like abstract and maybe obtuse. It's just my own, <laughs> the way that no, I, I think it. about all this stuff. I love but, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, what does it mean to originate something? You know, I, at, at the most abstract level, the most essential level, you need to create social consensus about eco ecological state. Like what is happening someplace in, in earth? How do we, how do we monitor it? How do we verify it? And how do we issue an asset? What does the asset, what is the unit of the asset? What does it mean? And what is it worth? That's the most essential, right? And then if you, if you, take those let's, essential let's give an pillars. example give an example right, right exactly if you take those essential pillars and then you move them into a concrete world this is about okay soil carbon 
if you mm -hmm. increase soil carbon through holistic management of cattle, for instance, you sequester yeah. more carbon into the yep. soil than is emitted from the methane farts <laughs> from sure. the you know, from, from the downstream usage, you actually are cat cows. If you change the way that they're being farmed from, you know, uh, intensive being fed by corn industrial approach, you get them out onto grasslands and you move them around as a herd, you know, they will increase the soil health and they will in many ecosystems sequester carbon and build soil more than they are emitting carbon in the carbon cycle, for instance. And so we built a whole credit class on that because it was one of the hardest ones to monitor, measure, and verify. And we were like, let's start with the hardest one. <laughs> but you also have yeah. credits like agroforestry, where if you manage, if you, instead of doing a monocrop orchard, you mm -hmm. diversify that and have, you know, like shade-grown coffee or shade-grown cacao and diversified orchard systems, you have a couple of outcomes. You have increases in biodiversity, you also have increases in the, the health of the carbon cycle, and you can sequester carbon out of the atmosphere. One big takeaway, just so everybody understands the, the regenerative potential of the landscapes that we interact with as humans for agriculture, for extracting our food, fuel, fiber, you know, the the regenerative potential of those landscapes is massive. The, the ability for the terrestrial carbon sinks below ground biomass and above ground biomass to be increased by small percentages and have massive impact on the carbon cycle is huge. Yeah. You know, car, you know, agriculture, if you take it in aggregate is one of the biggest emitters, yeah. right? And it could be completely carbon negative. It could every year, it could sequester more carbon than is being emitted. So a lot of our tools are built for people to um, monitor quantify and verify those changes in the carbon cycle in agricultural systems and be able to mint an asset that represents that carbon that has been, for instance, sequestered into rangeland in New South Wales, Australia, or in the great prairies of the United States, or in the Pampas of, of Argentina, we also have people bringing credits to market around kelp or seagrass or mm. coral reef restoration or rainforest conservation or biodiversity. So people are applying these basic tools and this concept to a wide variety of new assets that are representing these essential public goods, right? If we're going to sort of like have an intact planet, we need to value regeneration. And there's an you know, region network is in, in many ways, what it really is, is a community of people who's engaging in asking, what's the best way to symbolically represent real regeneration in a transparent and rigorous way, right? And then, you know, okay, we use blockchain for certain elements of anchoring mm -hmm. that data, of issuing assets, of governing the overall system. We use other technologies like remote sensing. Some people are experimenting with IoT and other sensors. Some people are just doing it the old fashioned way where you, you know, you go take soil samples and you register that and people sign digital certificates that are saying like, I'm the soil scientist and this is the outcome that I said, say, yep. right? And you yep. have this full spectrum of experimentation, which makes it really vibrant. And it also makes it kind of both backwards compatible with the existing carbon market and the way that people expect things to be done and also forward compatible with this new future of, you know, really advanced machine learning and AI knowledge creation where you can rapidly assess and model ecological health and potentially be generating assets that represent outcomes that are being managed by land stewards very quickly. Who can, who can do the minting and who, I guess, who is doing the minting like now and who can do it but landowners obviously it are these farmers are these you know funds that buy land and sort of mint these credits like how i, I get it from the the land perspective but like you, you mentioned coral like how i guess the disconnect for me is like a person can't own coral like they own land right that there's like so how yeah, well in that case it's uh you know that that experiment is the cocos island marine gotcha. reserve which gotcha. is a governmental you know, gotcha. like a government scale payment for ecosystem service pilot in Costa Rica. Great. Um, so, you know, it really depends like, yeah, who has land or ocean tenure 
right? That's one question to ask. Who is the who are the supporting organizations? So I could sort of geek go in a deep dive. Let's do it. On- yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just trying to paint a picture of, of you know who's do, like who's minting like who who's this for? You know, I, I well right I now guess. right now the most of the people using this technology and minting ecological assets tend to be pretty sophisticated actors. There are some sort of like very grassroots folks using it as well and learning and growing. And that's awesome. There's also a lot of like former or current carbon project developers and, you know, like leading science research folks who are like, oh, this is a way to creatively express the leading edge of science and how we quantify ecological health right and so right now that's a lot of who's using the tools that's certainly like sure. those are early adopters but there's you know because this is an open community run and owned network the the aim here is sort of a barbell strategy where you have sort of an instant institutional adoption of region network through you know, project developers and experts and scientists who are really like leaders in the field, creating the most rigorous, transparent, scientifically robust types of credits, right? And that's a lot of the users right now. And then on the other hand, other side of the barbell, you have, because that's happening and it's all 100% open source, we iterate and we build a set of tools that enable sort of micro crediting where any community anywhere in the world could use the same tools to develop credits about their the water health of their local stream cheaply and easily to you know to just you know or land you know land use in a municipality tax abatements here there what are the you know the thousands of different ways that these tools could get repurposed yeah. and used by people all over the world yeah that's, that's the yeah, barbell that's, strategy is like yeah. so the answer of who's doing it right now it's sort of like experts in the field of carbon credits and and people who are experts in the field of biodiversity you know experimenting and bringing new things to market but because unlike a lot of sort of competitors in the space there's zero tolerance in our system really or let's say zero tolerance there is a bias away from black box proprietary business models that are saying like, hey, we have the magical machine learning algorithm that we built through extracting big data sets from people who didn't know that we did it to build you this like this tool to to tell you what's true. Instead, we're sort of like, yes, there's an open community of scientists and analysts who are contributing so that you can audit everything that's being said. And and the outcome of that different approach is a set of tools that anybody could use to try to link ecological health to the creation of value to tokenization right to tokenize ecological health and make that accessible for everyone my big sort of not utopian thought but like how i look at this is that yes we we see sort of the like the bigger end of the of the barbell sort of being the first adopters and first users of, of this but do you see like down the line i see like you know the small farmer in ecuador that practices regenerative agriculture and has been doing amazing work on, on the land for maybe it's generations in the family now has a new revenue stream, right? He's basically big, you know, that land is going to get rewarded now because he, he or she can mint credit for their land or even, you know, somebody who even owns like, you know, five acres in, you know, Nashville or something, but is beautiful. It takes care of it. So even if it's a, a small mint, right. And it's only going to bring in, 50 extra bucks a month or 200 bucks extra a month or whatever, whatever it may be. But I look at it as an interesting revenue stream for people who take care of the earth, no matter what size that they take care of. Does, does that make sense? And is that even possible down the road, I guess? It is definitely possible. There's people working on it. And that is the transformative change, which is that right. you're not just producing, you know, like good goods for a private market like your veggies. Right. You're also producing value for your entire community by the way you do it. And that that is transformative. And it is already like in the early pilots of this, these credits 
the way that this is all designed and the way that the, the financial resources are flowing, it is transformative to farmers' livelihoods yeah. right, to receive these payments. And, you know, there's miles to go, right? But sure. Early, yeah. The early pilot that we ran in, in New South Wales, Australia, 80% of those payments that, my, you know, Microsoft bought those credits. Yep. Um, is oh, one yeah, of the, yeah you know, one of the big um, early purchasers and sort of validators of, of what's being built, they purchased those 85% of the value that Microsoft paid went directly to the land stewards, right? And and that wow. flips on the head how the current carbon markets work in which you're lucky to get 20% of a payment for carbon credit as a project developer, as a land steward. Do you know if that like when Square or Tesla buys Bitcoin, it goes on the balance sheet of the company. Does, did that go on Microsoft's balance sheet? No, because it all got, re well, in a way, it went to take off liabilities on their balance gotcha. sheet. The way Microsoft gotcha. is working okay. is they're including carbon. So they did it as an offset, right? They did as it as an offset. Yeah, so they just paid, they gotcha. paid an offset immediately, right? Gotcha. So they weren't buying yep. it as a speculative instru instrument, but companies can buy carbon offsets and hold them instead of retiring them. Uh, but yep. in this case, it's to offset a liability, which is their emissions. Do you, and we'll end here. I, I don't want to keep you too long and go for another hour, but I want to be cognizant of your time. But I, I'll sort of end on, on this and sort of the future of it all, right? And, and maybe what could go wrong. I don't know. But mm -hmm. I think we all, we all see what could go right and the potential and sort of the, the beauty of it all. I guess what, what are the possible issues and hurdles that can derail the, the way we think it's all going and, and the great possibilities? Do you look at the, the, the financial marketplace of it could be an issue early on and later on where you have, you know, sort of like you said, people kind of buying carbon credits to hold to sell later rather than retire. And then there's, I think to me, having the financial market around this is really positive and good. But with that, there will be the negative aspects of it, like financial markets. There's always frauds and scams, right? That there'll be that aspect of it. Is that the hurdles that you think the industry, you know, faces in the next five to, to 10 years? A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. the big hurdle is to ensure that there's not a subprime carbon. Right, exactly. But you know, Klima kind of dealt with something like that a little they bit. They did. Right? They did yeah. do it, and they did have a subprime carbon collapse. And in a way, mm -hmm. we might be like we might be in the depths of that the first subprime subprime carbon <laughs> crisis because of how Klima sort of approached things. Mm -hmm. And and not just Klima, it's not re really Klima's fault in a lot of ways sure, because yeah. how the leg because of how they built on legacy markets, which exactly. themselves this, yeah. had poor yeah. a poor approach to standards, yeah. etc. So it's like it's, it's not to point at Klima at all. And and in a fact, in fact, like the way that they approached it in a lot of ways and accelerating through that, I think we're like running, you know, like we're running this experiment fast enough that I think it's gonna end up being a huge positive that, yeah. that that those sort of like in quotes mistakes were made, right? That everybody could see sure, it and talk it, yeah. about it and understand the downstream consequences of that. And and the the incumbent, you know, the legacy car carbon industries was like pump the brakes, you know, everybody pump the brakes. And I think, you know, meanwhile, Regen Network is just sort of chugging along and our thesis really is for, for any, it isn't the fancy financial instrumentation of all of this at this stage of things. It's the origination cycle. It's the process of tokenization of creating these assets that needs to be as high a quality as possible, right? And if and if there isn't solidity, just like foundational um, rigor there, if the assets aren't solid, then the financial system that sort of gets built to utilize those assets and cycle those assets mm -hmm. and fund those assets and build momentum in the marketplace around those assets will not succeed. And so that's the, the subprime carbon collapse, I think, is the biggest threat. And I think that is what informs region networks strategy as a community, which is really to focus on origination, on supply, on stakeholder empowerment and engagement with scientists and land stewards, so that these market mechanisms are really embedded in the reality of yeah. land stewardship and science. And that's almost like building. pillars are foundational, not just the financialization right. of the assets themselves. But even, but it also feels like the the time and energy and diligence going into creating the assets. It's almost like you're creating like the 
the bonds and the mutual funds, right? The, the, the foundation instruments for, you know, a market to, to sort of exist. Yeah. Um, because like the, the bundling, like I love like the bundling feature, right? Where you could kind of essentially it's like buy a mutual fund of, you know, eco credits that are not just carbon, but they, the value is, 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 is across different asset classes. Like the idea of like a, a mutual fund of eco credits to me is, is powerful, super interesting. But again, 100%. It's, it's these foundational instruments that create this financial marketplace. And then it's like, again, there's going to be market participants that come in and want to do futures and all this stuff and, and derivatives. And, and that's where I think hopefully we're careful about how those things happen. And look, I mean, the market's going to do what the mar- a market does, right? There's not going to be, you can't have safe rails for everything. But I think having these foundational instruments where market participants who just want to participate in these things, I think is is powerful. And I think that's the bedrock of, of all this. 100%. I, I totally agree. And I think even, I mean, a, a layer deeper, this origination of the assets so that they're auditable, transparent, yep. you know, well-governed and sort of clean in that way, then allows them to be assembled into, you know, indexes or, yep. you know, ba- baskets of different sorts that are managed or unmanaged. You know, Region Ledger right now has the ability to have an unmanaged um, asset basket, you know, or bundle, where it's just like, users can arbitrarily lump things together and then be issued a credit that represents any of the underlying assets, which is different. It's just sort of like a way of wrapping it and it's not really instrumented. I do think, you know, is it we need to have some either decentralized or centralized management of those baskets at some point, because that's the, then you have somebody taking responsibility for curating the performance of the, the, that, that basket against market conditions. And that's, you know, that's a step that I I will be very excited to see happen. You know, I don't think at least in regions stack, we're going to approach that probably until you know the end of the year at the earliest because we're sure, still sure. focused on just like this origination origination yep. origination yeah great well thank you uh, so much gregory this is amazing man this yeah grant is- it's been super fun to jam uh thanks for thanks for inviting me onto the show and uh yeah taking the time to learn a little more best of luck for the next 10 years oh man 20 years this is going to be a a wild ride for for <laughs> everybody involved so so best of luck for you and the team thank you thanks so much grant